Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22 says, And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. And tonight, we are talking about peace. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Amen. I was looking for, for, through the hymn book this afternoon, and, uh, well, this is the first one that came to mind. Uh, but I was looking through some other ones, and that was the one I just sang, uh, Wonderful Peace, amen. I'm thankful that we can have peace through Jesus Christ. And so, if you found your place in Philippians, we're going to look at Philippians chapter number 4. And I'll just have you remain seated. Philippians chapter number 4 tonight, we're going to be talking about peace, peace, wonderful peace. The Bible says in verse number 1, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and I beseech uh, Syntyche, you can say that however you want, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with my other fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus Tonight we're going to talk about that subject of peace. Let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, I love you. I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord. What a wonderful group of people you've brought together in Jasper, Indiana. Lord, I'm thankful in 2023, the God who promised peace is still the same God today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray that you'd help me. Help me to have clarity of mind, clarity of thought. And give each person what they need to hear. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Peace. Can you hear that? All right, we just heard a cry in the background. But anyway. Sometimes at my house, that's what I'll do. I'll be like, shh, everybody listen. Can you hear that? It's peace. And you know what? Peace is more than just quiet, and we'll get into that in a minute. But isn't it nice just to sit out on your porch on a peaceful evening? The breeze is blowing, 71 degrees outside. There's a bird singing somewhere in the background. There's not a lot of street noise. I, I grew up on a very busy street uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. Very little peace as far as noise was concerned on that street. I remember when I was a boy... Uh, probably eight or nine years old, I was sitting in my kitchen, and my brother's looking out the window, and he's like, I was like, Roger, what are you looking at? And he said, well, I think there's some guys over there with rifles. And I was like, really cool. And we looked out, and sure enough, there was, across our road, uh, there was three uh, probably young adult age guys with rifles, and they were shooting at a guy that was on my road, and he was behind a car with a pistol shooting back. And me and my brother just sitting here watching this, because we think it's awesome. <laughs> and then my mom sees what's going on, and of course takes us away from the window there and that was the only time i've ever seen like anything like that happen i didn't really grow up on a necessarily rough neighborhood i grew up in 
in between two rough neighborhoods. We had our minivan stolen from our driveway. Uh, if we left anything on the porch, it got stolen, usually uh, within the next couple of days, and so usually overnight. Uh, we had people cut through our yard all the time, so I lived in a in a moderate neighborhood, to say the least, but uh, it wasn't a terrible place to live as far as that, but there certainly wasn't a whole lot of peace, all right? Uh, as far as tranquility, when we think of peace, we think of tranquility. We think of rest. We think of disturbance from agitation, freedom. Uh, it's, just, it's just this wonderful thing that truthfully everybody in the world is looking for. Everybody's looking for peace. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants, by the way, everybody wants the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody wants love. Everybody wants joy. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants long suffering. Everybody, everybody would love to have these things. Of course, we know as Christians, the only way to truly have them is to walk in the Spirit. Peace is a wonderful gift of God. By the way, some people falsely assume that all war is wrong. The truth is, both physically and spiritually, war is often the way we can assure that we have peace. I like what my preacher said growing up. He always said, we always had peace in our home and my dad was willing to go to war to keep it. And I thought that was a pretty good statement. Because you know what? Sometimes adversity arises. And so we need to make for peace. But that's not really the, the message tonight. This is more of an introduction to peace. Uh, there probably will be a part two to this. There may be a part three to this at some point. Uh, but tonight we're going to talk about peace. We get peace in two forms as I study our Bibles. We get peace with God, and we get peace of God. They're different. They're different, by the way. I love what Psalm 190 said. Or not Psalm 190, I mean Song 190, all right? Uh, in our hymn book, Constantly Abiding. There's a peace in my heart that the world never gave, a peace it cannot take away. Though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, I have a peace that has come there to stay. What's that peace? Constantly abiding. Jesus is mine. That's a wonderful peace. That is the first peace, peace with God. We're not really going to talk a lot about that tonight. Where does peace with God come from? It comes from our standing, okay? Peace with God comes from our standing. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is positional and cannot be taken away. It was given by my acceptance of Christ as my Savior, and I'm not responsible to keep it. I'm thankful for that. Amen. I'm, we, we talked about that a lot this morning, getting all the buttons in the right spot. I am thankful that when Jesus became the propitiation, God became propitious, and then he gave me peace. That's a lot of peace. Amen. But it's true. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's, that, is, that is unconditional peace. That does not change. That's why the song says it's a peace that the world cannot give and it's a peace that the world cannot take away. Because when I die, I know because of the shed blood of Jesus and the promises of God, I'm going to be in heaven. That will bring you peace better than anything else. But there is another kind of peace. Well, before we move on, Let's, let's read Philippians chapter 1. Let's go, let's go back there. Philippians chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Still talking about peace with, or with God. Philippians 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace. From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Look what Paul says. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace. Paul greets the Philippians and he greets them, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. I love what he says in verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that the God who saves me gave me the Holy Spirit, and he's going to perform that work of salvation in me until Jesus Christ comes back for me. Amen? Because that's, that's, I, I don't have anything to do with that. That's wonderful, wonderful peace. And you know what? That, that is great. I love it. We, and we already went over Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. I kind of jumped ahead of myself there. That's also in my notes. But you know what? God made us, he, he made a way. He made a way for us to have peace. But there's another kind of peace. And it's called the peace of God. The peace of God. This phrase appears two times in your Bibles. It appears in Philippians chapter 4. And it also appears in Colossians chapter 3. We're not going to talk about Colossians chapter 3 tonight because I don't think we'll have time to do that. Uh, there, there, there's letting the peace of God rule in your heart, and that's probably going to be part number two at some point, all right? But tonight we're going to talk mainly about the peace of God because truthfully, I always have peace with God because I'm saved, I'm blood-washed, I'm bought by the blood of the Lamb. I don't have to go to hell. I love that. And you know what? That gives me peace. By the way, Paul's writing to them. He's in jail and he still has this peace because Paul, the sinner, who was Saul the sinner, became Paul the preacher and he has peace with God. And that's a wonderful thing. By the way, if you're, not, if you're in here and you're not saved, You'll never have peace with God until you get saved. Uh, you know, you say, preacher, most of us are saved. Yes, and I, I believe that. But you know what? The truth is we need to have that peace with God. Number two, we need to have peace of God. This is conditional peace. Where peace with God is our standing, peace of God is determined by our present state. So tonight we're going to talk about how to have this peace of God. If you're back in Philippians chapter number 4 and you're ready, say amen. 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 All right. There we go. A little feedback from the audience lets me know you're still in tune with me. Amen. Look what Paul says. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my crown, or my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and Sintiche or Sintichi, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I'm glad my name is James, amen. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. I, I want to say uh, in reminder here, one, one of the easiest ways 
to, to have peace of God is to rejoice. Amen. When we start rejoicing, it's hard to complain. When you start being happy, it's hard to be negative. When you start praising and complimenting, it's hard to be critical. And you know what? We can complain and we can gripe and we can fuss. And this, we're not necessarily talking about joy, but the truth is rejoicing in the Lord is one of the, what is one of the prerequisites to peace. I believe that with all my heart. When you have the joy of the Lord that is accompanied by peace. Hey, you know what? The Bible commands us over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, rejoice evermore. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Just like 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, to pray without ceasing, we're also to rejoice evermore. Hey, find a reason. Find a reason to rejoice this week. Find a reason to thank God for something and you'll be surprised how that'll start your heart thinking towards God and thinking towards His mercies. I love that verse in Lamentations chapter 3. Thy mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Hey, that's a reason to rejoice. Amen. I can rejoice in the faithfulness of God. By the way, I can rejoice because I have peace with God. All right, Even even on days where I don't feel very good, I'm saved. I have peace with God. That's Paul tells him to rejoice. Then look at verse number 5. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Let your moderation be known unto all men. What is the definition of moderation? If you ask some people, they would say it's spending time on things equally, right? You know, that's moderation. I just want to be well balanced in every area of my life. But that is not a biblical definition of moderation. I know a lot of people who are balanced, but they don't practice moderation in a lot of areas of their life, all right? What is moderation? Moderation in the Bible is the restraint of improper passions or indulgence of appetites. There's a, there's a saying on the bag of a, of a popular brand of chips, you can't eat just one. But you probably shouldn't eat the whole bag, all right? You know, and you've probably done it at one point in your life, all right? But the truth is, if you eat the whole bag of potato chips in one sit-down, that's, that, is a, that is a lack of of restraint all right that's a lack of moderation you know what if i open the thing of ice cream and i just start eating from the carton and it's gone i didn't i didn't practice moderation all right i'm not going to get a lot of amens on this one all right i understand that you shouldn't binge watch tv very often i could make an argument for never but you know what a lot of people they they're way out of control and in, in why because the bottom line is Moderation is when we do things, when we, when we cut back on things that feed our flesh. Now, we talk, we're not talking about walking in the Spirit, walking in the flesh tonight. That's not our necessary goal. But you know what? Paul says, let your moderation be known to all men. Why do we do that? Because I can't always do what my flesh wants me to do. I cannot always buy everything that I want to buy. Why? It wouldn't be in keeping with God's will for my life. I can't go out and just buy, 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 because it's not in keeping with what God wants me to do. Now, is buying things wrong? No. Is eating wrong? No. But you know what? A lot of times we're guilty of not, of not, of, of, of not eating in moderation. And there are times, you know, I know that doesn't get a lot of amens. I understand that. I sometimes find myself guilty of that. You know what? But one of the things that brings us peace is learning to restrain and learning to tell our flesh no and learning just to to, to say, I can't do certain things because it will limit 
my ability to serve God. Uh, that's a, I heard a man years ago make a statement. It's one of what I would call one of the life-changing principles in my life. He said, I don't want to do anything that would limit my ability to serve God. And then he posed this question. He said, show me where in the Bible it says that you should not poke your eyeball out with a stick. And of course, we all just laughed like you did. And he said, there's no Bible verse that says you shouldn't poke your eyeball out with a stick. But he goes, it would limit your ability to serve God. And so you probably shouldn't do it. Now, if it happens, all right, that's, that's different. My point is, we, we need as Christians to practice moderation. By the way, you don't have to practice moderation in spiritual things, okay? I'm amazed that some people are concerned that they read too much Bible or that they go to church too much or that they pray too much. Why is it that uh, you know, a TV show can last two hours and nobody thinks anything about it, but if, 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 if the clock goes a little long, I know we tease about it sometimes, some people start doing the old, uh, the old look down you know, at their wrist because they got something on it, you know, and it's just like, why, why, why do we do that? I mean, I've never, I've never, very rarely, I can think of a couple instances in my life where preachers had to go to somebody and tell them to stop doing stuff because they're doing too much for God. Like, you better slow down. They're doing too much for God. I, I know people like that. And I, by the way, I don't think you ought to spend all your time just passing out tracts and reading your Bible, okay? I think you ought to spend time with your family. I think you ought to work. I think you ought to do those things, all right? I think you ought to be balanced. But that's not what moderation is talking about. Moderation is not just for things that are wrong, but I need to restrict things because too much of even a good thing can be a bad thing. Let our moderation be known unto all men. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Look at the next part of the verse. The Lord is at hand. The Lord's at hand. Hey, when could Jesus come back? According to the Bible. Anytime. Anytime. Now, I, listen. I am not against you listening to prophecy preachers. I would be very careful to take what a guy... If a guy gets up and says, this is the day and the hour that the Lord's going to come back... I'd be very careful in listening to him because the Bible says no man knoweth the day or the hour. Now, I don't mind speculation. But sometimes if you listen to some prophecy preachers that specialize in this, they get off into these wild, I know exactly when the Lord's going to come back kind of mentality. And the Bible says no man knoweth the day or the hour. Jesus Christ said that. You can't know. And so I'm not against you. Uh, I'm not against you learning about prophecy and, and, and linking what's going on in our world to uh, the end times or things like that. But folks, the Babylon doesn't have to be rebuilt, okay, before Jesus comes back. And I know they'll go to a Bible verse that says that, and they'll try to say, well, it'll be at least you know take at least forty years, and so Jesus can't come back until yada yada yada. No, according to the Bible, the imminent return of Jesus Christ is just that. It's Amen. imminent. It's imminent. And no man knows the day or the hour. And this is a constant theme in Paul's writing. The disciples believed with all their heart, as you read your Bible, that Jesus Christ could return. They believed He was coming back in their day. I mean, they even stood there when He went up into heaven. I don't know how long they stood there, but it was long enough to where a couple angels came down and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus, He will come again. You're supposed to go do what he told you to do in Acts 1.8, which is reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. And so he comes back, just be involved doing that. But he reminds us in this verse, there's a parallel here. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Why? The Lord is at hand. 
Hey, one of the reasons we look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is to remind us to be mindful of time wasters in our life and to motivate us to do things that matter. Uh, this, this is convicting for me. Because every time I sit down and I reevaluate my time spent, I realize just how much time I waste. Now, you say, well, see, preacher, I don't do that very often. Yeah, I don't do it very often either, because every time I do, I get convicted about it. I'm like, I'm like Lord, I, you know what? It, it's true, though. If I'll go back in my week, and I'll just look it over, and I'll look over how much time I wasted doing things that absolutely don't matter. I'm amazed at how, how much time I come up with. I mean, the, according to a study done in 2016, the average American home watches 35 hours of television a week. 35 hours. Nowadays, that's almost, that's almost enough time to qualify for full-time benefits at some workplaces. I mean, that's crazy. And you know what? I mean, maybe they're watching wholesome TV, but... I, I, I have a hard time turning on the TV for more than 30 minutes and not seeing something that I shouldn't. I just don't own television. That's my simple solution for that. But anyway, that's free. Uh, I, do own a, I, I do own a monitor, and I do own a DVD player, and I do play some DVDs every now and then that I preview before I even let my kids watch them because sometimes I watch stuff, and it's, it's just garbage. But anyway, I'm not preaching on TV, all right? Don't worry. I'm backing off of that. But you know what? Tr truthfully, folks, listen. We, spend, we waste so much time. I'm not saying you have to give every minute of your life to serve the Lord. I, I understand that. But I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't make an argument that it would be a bad idea. I couldn't make an argument that putting down... Uh, I don't even know who's a popular author nowadays, all right? Putting down a Louis L'Amour novel and picking up your Bible would be a bad idea, all right? He's not a popular author anymore. But my point is, we spend a lot of time... I hear a lot of people say that. They say, well, preacher, I just don't have any time to read the Bible. Well, you know what? When you pick up a fiction book, you read 40 pages and you don't even blink. But then two pages of the Bible is just tough. It's just tough, preacher. You just don't understand. You're right. I don't. I don't. I understand, I understand what's going on. There's no moderation in some areas of your life. The Lord is at hand. Hey, I, you know what? You, this, by the way, this all has to do with peace. We're going to talk about that on part number two. Letting the peace of God rule in your heart. And it can't rule if there's a whole lot of other, if there's a lot of chiefs and not very many Indians, the peace of God isn't going to rule in your life if you've got a lot of things that are fighting for what the peace of God wants to do. But you know what? The Lord is at hand. He's at hand. Motivate us to do things that matter. There was a, there was a, a story told of a, of a famous millionaire who died. And a friend of his uh, was talking to went went to see an old farmer uh, and, and he said, "Hey, did you hear so and so died?" And the farmer said, "Oh, how much did he leave?" And the man looked at him and said, "He left everything." Because that's true, folks. We don't take anything with us. Amen. The only thing we take with us is what we did for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, the Lord is at hand. He 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 goes on to verse number six. Now we're going to get into really where I wanted to focus on in the message. Be careful for nothing. Doesn't mean slow down in a yellow light, okay? All right, all right. It's not your freedom to speed through every yellow light. Only a few of them, all right? I have to put that in there because there's a few that I probably go through in my life. Probably too many. Be careful for nothing. What does that word careful mean? Literally, 
full of care. You know what the word we would use today is? Anxiety. Anxiety is a big word in our world right now. I remember as a youth pastor listening to teenagers talk about their anxiety. Somebody taught them that, you know. And there may be some anxiety in their life. And by the way, if I told you some of their stories, you would, you would understand why they had a little anxiety. This, this is a sinful world we live in. And you know what? But the Bible tells us to be careful for nothing. Anxiety and worry never come from God. And you never have to let them have preeminence in your life. A spirit of fear doesn't come from God. A spirit of fear never has to rule your life. The Bible's not saying don't be concerned about things. Because we know we're supposed to be concerned about some stuff. We know we're supposed to be concerned about, well, I mean, we're supposed to be concerned about our moderation. We're supposed to be concerned about a lost and dying world. We're supposed to be concerned about, uh, about our rejoicing. I mean, there are things we're supposed to be concerned about. But the Bible says be careful for nothing. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. This is a command. Now, I'm going to tread very carefully here. Do you want to spend the rest of your life in anxiety? Or do you want to fix the problem? The truth is, a lot of Christians get anxiety way too easily. And I, I'm not belittling anybody. If you struggle with anxiety, there's, there's, there's some real causes for that, okay? There are some, listen, this is a wicked, sinful world full of heartache and full of sorrow. And truthfully, anxiety creeps up, all right? It does, all of us. All of us get a little anxious. By the way, the Bible, I, I believe this with all my heart. God wouldn't say to be anxious, to be careful for nothing so much if we didn't have a lot to be anxious and careful about. Amen. God know this. I, 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 one of my favorite, uh, most ironic stories is in the Gospels where the disciples are out on the sea and, uh, and, and the Lord tells them to fear not and they ask Him to help them because the, the Bible says because they're afraid. All right. And God knows that. All right. God knows that we have anxiety. God knows that we struggle with peace. God knows that we struggle with insecurity. He knows these things, and yet He still tells us to be careful for nothing. Many people love to talk about their anxiety because it garners the sympathy and attention of others. I, I believe a lot of our anxiety could be avoided if we would follow Dr. God's prescription. Hey, here's what I'm trying to teach us. You want to learn how to nip it in the bud before it gets out of control? Do you want to learn how to avoid how to have breakdowns? The Bible gives us a pattern here. Be careful for nothing, but it's going to give you the antidote. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. There are three things here, and they're, I believe, the cure for most of our anxiety and our worry. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. We let our requests be made known unto God. Okay? Let me give you an illustration. You start feeling bad. You go to the doctor. They sit you down. They run the tests. They come back in. They sit down. They say, I've got bad news for you. It's cancer. It's stage four cancer. It can't be cured. Now, if anything would give you anxiety, I think that could make it to the top of the list. Some of you have been through that. 
And you know what the Bible wants us to do? Stop right there and say, Lord, I don't know why you've allowed this to happen in my life. But Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, thank you for giving me the life that you've given me. And I'm yielding it to you. Hey, folks, if you can do that, I promise you. I promise you most of your anxiety will go away. Because it's not in my hands anymore. It's in his. I, I, am, I am transferring ownership of my worry. And I'm casting all my care upon the Lord. For he careth for me. That still doesn't mean you don't have a burden. That still doesn't mean you're not concerned. But you know what? I don't have to worry. Because I know God's in control. And that honestly will fix most of your problem. And you say, preacher, that's easy to do when you're not going through a heartache. Yes, I know. And I've also been through some heartaches and I know what that's like. Listen, we all have. We've all been through some valleys. And I can honestly say I've been through some valleys where I didn't cast all my care on the Lord. And you know what I had? Had a lot of anxiety. You know what I developed? A lot of bitterness. I've, I've, I've had moments in my life where I didn't trust the Lord with what I was going through. And I've developed, I've had anxiety throughout the whole situation. I've had bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart afterwards. And I got a little frustrated with God, quite frankly. Now that's not right to do. But I've been frustrated with God before. If you're, if you're a Christian and you've never been frustrated with God, I envy you and your spirituality, alright? Job, I love the book of Job. I've been, I've been reading through it in my own personal Bible time. Job is the epic struggle of a man going through adversity and not understanding why. But Job did say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, Job, and by the way, Job went on to struggle. And then at the end, he came back and he prayed for his friends and God restored him. And that's not necessarily our message tonight, folks. But listen, there's a lot of, ang there's a lot of reasons to be anxious. There's a lot of reasons to worry. There's a lot of reasons we can just sit there and just, you know, uh, bite our fingernails. And, but you know what? When I can just stop, and I have learned this, just to stop and just to say, God, I don't, I don't understand. God, I can't even begin to understand. I need you to help me. I need to give this to you. Prayer. And it goes on to say supplication. Supplication. That's urgency. That's earnest prayer. That's not just me throwing up a, a 50 cent prayer, you know, and popping, popping 50 cents in the vending machine and hitting a button and getting an instant prayer from God. That is, that is me praying with a sense of urgency. God, I need you. And you know what? Oftentimes I'm asking, God, I need your help because I don't understand this. And God, I don't know that I can do this without you. And God gives it to us. And by the way, the Bible also includes thanksgiving. Hey, when's the last time you thanked God for the trial? Amen. I know that sounds, it sounds cliche and it sounds easy. But it's true. Lord, I've accepted where I'm at in my life. Lord, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know that I'll ever know. But I know this. I know you can handle it. I know you're in control. Thank you, Lord. Hey, what Brother Klein said last week, he stole a tiny bit of my message here. He took us to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said, we know our God's able. We know our God's able. By the way, if you look at that word careful, I, I believe this, this is a simple statement. The biblical cure for anxiety is to give it to God and thank Him for being able. I'm going to go to Daniel 3. You can go there if you want to. I'm going re to read that story that he read the last week. 
Daniel chapter 3. Because they use the same word, careful. They use the same word, careful. Daniel chapter 3. Look at verse number 10. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, It is true. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now if ye be ready at all, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music. I don't know why they had to keep saying all the instruments, but anyway. You fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of the hands, out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. And you know what they say, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now last week when Brother Klein talked about it, he mentioned the effect that God is able, and that is true. But you know what? I'm actually very impressed with the statement the young men make here. Because you know what they say? We are not careful to answer thee. You know what they're saying? We don't have any anxiety about answering you, King. This is, this is exactly what Philippians chapter 4 is talking about. This word careful, it actually means here, rendered here in the Hebrew, it means not needful or necessary. If we were to put it in our modern day language, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not rewriting what the Bible is saying. I'm simply clarifying. Sometimes the Bible, uh, we have to understand, was written at a different time than we are now. And sometimes we read the word careful and we think cautious. And that's not, they were not deciding whether to be cautious. They were saying, it's not even necessary for us to answer this. We already know what we're going to do. And they give them their answer. They, they said, you know, oh, but it's not even true. But here's the thing. Before the king even said the words, they knew who they were trusting in and they had decided that whether whatever happened, God was able. That's why they didn't bow in the first place. And so when the king called them and said, you're going to go to the fiery furnace, they said, we're not careful to answer in this matter. Because we know there's no need for us to answer. Because we know if we go to the fire and God is able to do that, we understand that. But we also know that if He chooses not to, He's still God and He's still good. Hey, sometimes we pray for someone that's sick to get well and they die. 
He's still God and he's still good. Sometimes something happens that I don't understand. Amen. He's still God and he's still good. As one preacher used to say it, and it's been said all over the country, God is good all the time, and the audience would echo back, and all the time, God is good. You know what? It's true. But I love this. They're, they're not, they, they said, we're not careful. It's not even necessary that we answer this. Because we know if God wanted to, He could. And if He doesn't want to, He... That's what the Bible's talking about in Philippians chapter number 4. Hey, we're not careful. Let's look at one more example of this. And we'll be done. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You're going to see the same word here, careful. Luke chapter 10, verse number 38. This is the exact same word in the Greek as it is in Philippians chapter number 4. Luke 10, 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. By the way, this isn't implying that work doesn't matter. But you know what? Jesus is giving her a reminder that she is worried and troubled about how to take care of Jesus. And he's reminding her Mary figured it out. By the way, Jesus has given us commands to work because he is coming back and we won't be able to work anymore. So we don't need to be worried about what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus left us here to work. But you know what? Here's two women, Mary and Martha, and Martha's running around trying to take care of the Lord. And Mary is sitting there worshiping Him because she knows that He will soon leave. And Martha comes to Jesus and she starts whining and complaining. And she says, Lord, Mary, that lazy, good-for-nothing sister of mine just sitting there worshiping You. And she should be helping me take care of You. Jesus said, Mary, the problem is you're too careful. And he says, Mary hath done that which is needful. Hey, folks, listen, sometimes we get so caught up in serving God that we forget that we're serving God. Amen. Sometimes we get so focused on going to church and reading our Bible and praying, and those are all good things. Sometimes we forget why we do those things. It's for God. Hey, you know what? Sometimes we get, we, we, we get caught up in all the things we do, and we, don't, we forget who we do them for. Hey, I do this for God. Hey, I hope you do this for God. I hope Christianity for you isn't for someone else. I hope it's because you love the Lord. You know what? Mary, Martha was worried about all of these things. And Jesus says, Martha, don't be, don't be careful and troubled about. You're careful and troubled about all these things. Mary hath done that good part, and it shall not be taken away from her. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7 says, It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
I'm going to close with this. There's one time in Scripture we are told to be careful about something. The Bible spends the whole Bible saying, be careful for nothing, right? Well, I did find one Scripture that tells us to be careful for something. And I thought that was interesting. It's found in Titus chapter 3, verse number 8. This is a faithful saying in these things. I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Hey, if you're going to worry about something, the only time we're told to be careful in the Bible is to worry about what we've done for the Lord lately. Just to worry about where our good works are. We don't, we don't use them for heaven. But Paul tells us that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable unto men. Hey folks, do you want peace? The first step is peace with God. That's a wonderful peace. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above. But you know what? Not only do I have peace with God in myself, in my standing... I can have peace with God in my position. I can have peace with God now. I can have joy. I can have peace. I can have happiness. I can have love. You know how you find the second way? Do you know how you find peace of God? Obedience. 